Okay, I don't want any emails. I know I'm using an iPhone. And I do this every now and then because this is the way some of you read the scriptures. You do it with your iPhone. You do everything in your iPhone or your or, or phone, whatever you have. And this is the way you read scripture and engage scripture. It's not my way. Okay, I, I tried it. I hated it. And so I went back to old school. I have a real Bible and, uh, and a journal. And that's the way I read and I write because the writing helps me stay focused with what I'm doing in the moment. And it also uh, helps me remember anything that happened significantly in that moment. That's the way I do it. That's not the way everybody does it. Some of you, I don't know how, but some of you do this. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to read it so I can share it with you and say, listen, any way the Word of God gets off the screen, gets off the page, into your head, into your heart is a good thing. Okay, I don't care what version you read. I don't care what platform you use. Uh, just as long as just getting off of the screen or the page into your head, into your heart, and changing the way you think and live, that's a good thing. So, in a moment when I ask you to stand, I'll be reading from the iPhone. As you can imagine, our country is a, city, uh, is a country of extremes. We bounce on this, this pendulum from one extreme to the other. The 80s and 90s was a time of ultimate consumption. Uh, success was all about what you could buy. And, and the, being a citizen of the United States was redefined as how much you had. We were, we were referred to as consumers. The consumer must. The American consumer must. Uh, this is good for the American consumer. And it was all about how much you could have. Well, you can imagine there was a reaction to that. And have you heard about this? It's called minimalism. And it, the thing is to have as small a carbon footprint as you possibly can have. To live in the world and, and do the, as least, the, the little as you can, the, the smallest effort you can to impact the environment. So they'll live in tiny houses. Have you seen these? They're houses less than 1,000 uh, square feet, and, and they can literally be pulled by a pickup. Uh, Janie nicks that idea uh, pretty quick, wherever the grandchildren sleep. And, uh, and then when I got to thinking about where I'd have to put my books, then, well, that, that didn't work for us. But there are people who literally pull their house around in a pickup truck. Um, they will check out books rather than own them. The thing is, have the experience rather than the possession. So rather than having a painting of the Grand Canyon, they will actually go to the Grand Canyon and have that memory in their head, not on the side of their wall. So, and this is kind of a, of a new thing. What are those essential things that you have to have to have a life that you enjoy living? It's a question we often ask in a church. What are those essential things you have to have as a believer to live a life of purpose and hope? What are those things that we must have so we can be faithful to the calling that Christ has in our life? This is one of the things that was going on in the, in the early church, especially the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth, well, uh, they were confused. <laughs> on a lot of things. And so you see Paul writing, and according to some uh, theologians, there may have been as many as four letters, some of them combined in one and two. It just depends on the theologian you're, you're reading and talking to. But anyway, we have the record of his correspondence, and from that we can kind of see what the issues were and what the questions were being asked. Uh, and you can see Paul go and, and say, now, 
this is how I hear your living. This is how I hear your, your thinking. So this is when I preach to you. Now I want you to change what you're thinking and how you're living to align with what I preached to you. Because nothing new is under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And some of the issues the Corinthian church are dealing with, we're dealing with now. So it's really interesting to see how Paul responded. So stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll begin reading with verse 32. I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord and how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of this world and how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned, is concerned about things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of this world and how she may please her husband. I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. Now, if any man thinks he's acting improperly toward the virgin he's engaged to, if he's getting beyond the usual age for marriage, he feels he should marry, he can do what he wants. He is not sinning. They can get married. But he who can stand firm in his heart, who has under no compulsion or has control over his own will and has decided in his heart to keep her as a fiancé, now he will do this well as well. So that we, he who marries his fiancé does well, but he who does not marry does even better. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to someone else, anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is. And all of this is in my opinion, but I think I also have the Spirit of the Lord. I want you to live without concern. This is God's word, even on an iPhone, <laughs> for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Give us clarity of vision of who you are. Give us clarity of vision of what you are doing. Give us clarity of thought that how we think may align with what you think. Give us clarity of action that what we do aligns with what you're doing, that who we are may be more and more who you are. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Oh, the Corinthian church. <clears throat> One of my pet peeves is I think if you haven't pastored a church, then you should leave Paul alone. I don't like theologians who've never pastored a church telling me what Paul meant if you have not been in the trenches of local church ministry. It's in the letters to the Corinthians where, where Paul says, I don't want to do this, but if I have to, I will come see you with a stick. Now, if you've ever pastored a church, that is one of your favorite verses. 
Corinth was a busy city. It was a bustling city. It had a lot of karmars. Uh, it was important in, in, in the nation of Greece. It was important in the Roman Empire. It was a, a, a very uh, metropolitan area, a lot of diversity, a lot of diversity of thought, a lot of different religions. And so what the early Christians in Corinth had done was to pick and choose take a little bit of Christianity and a little bit of this philosophy and a little bit of that philosophy, and they came up with an understanding that the body, the person, is separated into body, spirit, and mind, and that these three parts of the, of the human being have nothing to do with each other. You can believe what you want to and live as you want to, and what you do doesn't change what you believe. What you do doesn't have anything to do with what you believe. Now, does that sound familiar? They were celebrating that they could be a Christian, love Jesus, and then be involved and, and sex outside of a committed marriage. In fact, Paul says, I understand there's a young man in your congregation who is, who is having sex with his mother, and you're celebrating this because you think he's really spiritual. Paul says, uh-uh. And he confronts this Corinthian heresy. He confronts the American heresy, that I can live as I want to as long as I'm good in my heart. And some of us have this feeling that we're going to stand up in front of Jesus and Jesus is going to say, yeah, you live like a bum, but you had a good heart. Mm -mm. What you believe is what you do. What you do is what you believe. You can't separate them. The Bible never separates the person. So now they're arguing about marriage. Do I have to be married? Can I be married? Can I, can, can, can I be in a relationship with a person outside of marriage? And all of this is yang, 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 yang. And you can almost hear Paul stepping up and going, Here, enough. What are you right now? And somebody will look and say, I'm married. And Paul will say, stay married. Okay, now. Some of you will say, now hold it, Mike. I wasn't a Christian when I got married. I was not following the Lord. I made a wrong decision. Look at who I ended up with. I would be more faithful to Jesus. I would be a better Christian if I could leave the person I'm married to. Let me help you. Jesus never tells you to sin to get obedient to him. Okay? He never starts where you should have been. He never starts with what you should have done. He starts with what you did. He starts with where you are. Now, it may not have been God's will that you marry who you married. It is now God's will that you stay married. God is always adjusting based on our decisions. 
the ultimate will that he will complete all that he has begun in creation, that never changes. But what we call this permissive will, God is always adapting based on what we choose, based on how we exercise our free will. So if you are married, it is God's will that you stay married. Now, there is one out, one out. If the couple is not a Christian, or neither one of them are Christians, one of them becomes a Christian. The non-believer says, I don't want to be married to a Christian. The non-believer says, I would like to be out of this marriage. The believer is free to release the non-believer, but it is at the non-believer's request. The believer can't say to the non-believer, I'm ditching you because you don't believe. The Bible encourages you to stay in the marriage in order to be a witness to your lost wife or husband. Now, I know there's been a lot in the paper about how women should stay married and all that. I'm not talking about situations that are hurtful or, or demeaning. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, couples that are loving, uh, that, that are, are married. Maybe it's not the best marriage, not the perfect marriage, but there's a lot of good about the marriage. Then one becomes a believer and the non-believer says, this is not what I signed up for, I want out. Then you're free to let them go. Otherwise, the commandment is stay in the marriage. Are you single? Then stay single. Now, I know uh, th this is frustrating, but let's understand Paul's point. And I saw this when I was working with Kairos. Uh, one time we had a speaker come talk about uh, slavery and, 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 and people being smuggled into our country and how there was this huge opportunity in California to be involved with the rescuing of these people from, um, from human trafficking. Well, one of our ladies in, in Cairo said, this is what I'm called to do. Went out there, looked at, looked at it, came back, said, yes, this is what God's calling me to do. She put her stuff in storage, and a couple of weeks, she's gone. Now, I couldn't even begin to get boxes together <laughs> in a couple of weeks. But she was able to go that fast. It happened a couple of times. People would come and say, hey, I'm being called too. A couple of weeks later, they're gone. They had the ability to respond to the Lord's calling in a second. Now, if you want to get married, that's fine. If you want to stay single, that's fine. There's no sin in either one. As long as you're asking the right question. And the right question is, what do I have to do? How can I serve in this marriage? What do I need to do in my life so that I can best serve the kingdom of God? Is it best that I be married to serve in order to serve the kingdom of God? Or is it best that I remain single? Now, unfortunately, this isn't the first question that's asked. 
A young couple wants to get married, she'll buy the dress, we'll rent the place, we'll get the, the maids of honor, the matrons of honor all lined up, we'll get everything printed, he'll get the honeymoon plan, they'll get the reception dinner, the reception dinner plan, all, everything will be in place, then they'll come talk to the pastor about getting married, and when the pastor says, tell me how you're going to serve the kingdom of God together, they won't have a clue. If you're going to have a Christ-centered marriage, this has to be the first question you ask, not the last one. As a follower of Christ, how do I best align my life, work the details of my life so that I can respond in my best self to the calling of Christ in my life. So I can respond to the opportunities he gives me. Does that mean I remain single so that I can go wherever I need to go, however I need to go? Or is it best I be married? John Polhill was my New Testament professor. There was a Professor Brown who wrote tons of work. And we were always reading Raymond Brown this, Raymond Brown that. He has, Raymond Brown has a book called The Birth of the Messiah, and it's on the first two chapters of Luke and the first two chapters of, of Matthew. That book is that thick. It's about three inches thick. Paul Hill will always tell us, I could have written that if I wasn't married. <laughs> Raymond Brown is a Catholic priest. He's not married. If I didn't have, you know, see, I could have written that if I weren't married. What Paul is saying that if you're married, you have to consider your spouse. You have to consider children. You have to consider in-laws, your parents. All of this has to be considered when you make a decision and how you respond. Now, that doesn't mean any of those answers would be wrong. It means it would be cluttered. Paul doesn't want you to live a cluttered life. That's the point. What is it you have to do to get your life as uncluttered as possible so that you can be open to what Christ wants to do in you, through you, and around you? What do you have to do to get your life uncluttered? Maybe you have overcommitted. And maybe you're in this group, that society, that fraternity, uh, that association, this, and all of your nights are, are at meetings. And maybe the first thing you need to unclutter is your calendar. No is a perfectly good answer. It's not a sin. Okay? Maybe some of you have too much stuff. Okay? Stuff takes time. Now, I told you, I love the water. I love boats. I want to buy a boat, call the boat visitation. So when you call and say, where's Mike? My secretary can say, he's on visitation. <laughs> I don't have time for a boat. That's not where I want to spend my time. I don't have a boat. Want one? Don't have one. Now, that's no great sacrifice. It just doesn't work in my life. 
So what is it you need to declutter in your life so that you're free to do whatever the Lord needs you to do? I, I've told you before about how, how the, the, the word but works in the English language. Okay, the word but is one of, it's, it's a very, very strong word. You have to be careful when you use it because what it does when you hear it, it erases everything said before. And, and you know this, right? Um, dear John, I've loved dating you for these last several months, but, okay, you don't tell your friends, she really had a good time dating me. Uh-uh, you tell them she broke up with me. You don't remember what she said before. Okay? So here's my question. How many of you are answering Jesus by saying, I will, but? Yes, but. Whatever is on the other side of that word, is clutter. So what is it you need to deal with in your life so that your answer can be yes? Let's pray together. I don't know what you need to deal with. But all I know that it may be too big to deal with in this moment. Maybe you slip a note to your wife and say, you know, we're in too much debt. We need to deal with our debt. Or maybe let's talk about this at, over lunch today. And see how we can unclutter our time, unclutter our lives, so that we can live more light and be ready to move when Christ calls us to whatever it is. I tell you this because I don't want you to live distracted. What is it that you have to deal with so your focus can be totally on Jesus Christ? I know for some of you, it is a very first decision. And I wish I knew who you were. Or I wouldn't want to embarrass you. I wouldn't want to call you out or anything. I wouldn't want to find you and remind you that another word for glory is weight. And to have weight is to have gravity. And Jesus Christ is the only one with the glory, the significant weight to have the gravity necessary to hold all the rest of your life in its proper order. The reason you can't keep it together is you have the wrong thing, the wrong person in the center, and they don't have the gravity to hold it all together. Is Jesus the center of your universe? He's the only one who has the power, the gravity to hold everything else in place. I know I'm saying a whole lot, just a handful of words. Maybe you would like to find one of our pastors, one of our members, ministers. They'll be standing out at the table. Big sign says next steps. They're waiting on you now. 
All you have to say is, I want to know more about what Mike was talking about, or can you explain what Mike was talking about? I want to pick it up where Mike left off. They're ready to go from there. Do not leave this place without Jesus Christ in the center of your life holding it all together. However the Lord has come to you, he's waiting for you where you are. But the goal is for you to be able to leave here and live without distraction. The church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open, every heart. So we pray the choices we make now are exactly what you want.